Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How would you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset, and that's when you can reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. Look, it's summertime. Transfer window is coming up. It's gonna get crazy. So if you ever just wanna, again, take a step back and relax, read the transfer rounds, read the gossip rumors, grab a Coors Light. It'll be perfect companion for all those transfer merry-go-rounds. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. The mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when the beer is cold. That way you always know when it's time to chill. When you need to hit reset, just open a Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Now that it's finally hot in Minnesota, I'm going to be looking for an easy beer to drink, and Coors Light is perfect for that. It's lagered, it's cold filtered, and it's cold packaged. It's, again, made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies perfect for a moment to unwind and so when you want to hit reset reach for the beer that's made to chill get coors light in the new look delivered straight to your door with drizzly or instacart coors brewing company golden colorado and as always celebrate this this is joe cole this is ruben off the cheek and you're listening to the london London is blue Blue Podcast. podcast All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to another episode of the London is Blue podcast. As always, your host, Brandon, joined by my co-host, Nick and Dan. And gentlemen, stepping in for this one, it is the Sheffield United match review. We've got Joe Tweeds. Welcome back to the pod, Mr. Joe Tweeds. (laughs) It's a very nice intro there, Brandon. Thank you for that. Yeah, glad to be back. Full name only. Full name only. <laughs> Rolling out the red carpet. I mean, that's how we do here. It's a it's a high member experience. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Anyways, it doesn't well, really matter. Where are you going with this? <laughs> Dan, welcome to the pod. Uh, you've had quite quite a, an interesting weekend and day. It's it's Super Bowl. As far as I'm concerned, you have the closest connection to the Super Bowl out of all of us on this podcast because a few years back, you actually visited me when the Super Bowl was here in Minneapolis. That's true. It's the, the one year out of three in a row where I could have gone to a Super Bowl and I decided to go to the one where the Patriots lost. It was perfect decision making <laughs> on my part. God, just chef's yeah. kiss. Mm. <laughs> Yeah, it was uh, a bit of a shock, I'm sure, coming from Tampa to Minneapolis, and it was about negative 15 out that that whole weekend. So uh, good times, but yeah, it is Super Bowl Sunday, so we're jumping in right after the match, something we never do, Nick, uh, but I think it'll be all right. We played Sheffield United, obviously the 20th ranked team in the Premier League, but uh, <laughs> we're going to have some fun stuff to cover anyways. That is true. We uh, We genuinely... Cannot catch a break on teams not being in form. And Sheffield United have won three of five out of nowhere after having two points up and up until that point in the season. So uh, they uh, they came at us today. Just they, they don't they, they lack quality, which is good. Yeah, thankfully, thankfully, thankfully. Uh, so before we get into the three word match review, uh, this podcast is all about the Timo and Mason show. Uh, who really drove the attack today? Chelsea conceding our first goal under Tuchel. Uh, thank you, surprise goal scorer, for that. And then obviously we can end it with a little speculation, play some fun of if Tuchel has finally found some favorites, what would be his starting lineup in a big game? We can start to, after a few matches, pick who we think his starting 11 is. But before we get to that, Dan, three-word match review. Um, kudos to these people for the quick turnaround. You, you flipped up the bat signal and the people responded. Yeah, you know, it's... Uh... 
Record turnaround. We appreciate it. We've got a, a couple from Techie and Bearded Bunny with the VAR loyalty reward slash points. Uh, you know, that was uh, something that did come into effect here. Eric Muggle with the only Chelsea scores, which is very astute. Claire with the Mason Jar Sheffield. DC with the Werner Mount Connection. Christopher, uh, Christoph with the Timo Blade Runner. And then Kalen just on the theme of the day. Touchdown, Tommy Tuchel. Triple T. Triple T. The classic. I think Kalen's broken the uh, the algorithm there. Uh, Dan, I guess we can lead it off with you since uh, this is your three-word match review army. What did you have? I went with Mason Tempers Blades. Yes. Nice. I like that. All right. All right. Uh, Nick, what was yours? Irrelevant reference. <laughs> well, relevant reference to mm. much of the world except for health food fanatic Brandon Busby. Um, I am a massive Game of Thrones fan, as is Dan. And uh, if you remember, one of the the best literal finger quotes of all time is chaos is a ladder. Now, I cannot use four words, so I went chaos, colon, a ladder. <laughs> Wouldn't it be comma? Nah. Chaos, comma, a ladder? You couldn't go apostrophe? No. <laughs> you, could, you couldn't on that. Potentially, Dan. Potentially. Let's get our Grammarly folks in here and uh and make sure that i i get my shit correct either way chaos is a ladder and it's a frenetic game and a frenetic table well piggybacking off that i just said you know what we're climbing the ladder i don't know if it's chaos or not but the ladder is being climbed and up we go to fifth place tweeds what about you sir i channeled my uh in a ron burgundy and i've put weird title contenders question mark <laughs> <laughs> he'll literally read anything ladies yes, and gentlemen he'll literally read anything yeah no, a little um, bit tongue-in-cheek, but yeah, given all the uh, results around this, I thought I'd be a tiny bit positive, but yeah. Dan, Dan, you bringing it back? You going to say it? The why not us? No. Uh, we, we, we could do no. why not us with a asterisk for top four finish. <laughs> Second place <laughs> FC. Why not us? Um, all right. Well, before we get into the match review, huge, huge growth in the Patreon community. What's uh, up? We might be getting close to uh, needing to expand our boundaries. Idle Directory, Jordan, Sean, Steve, Thomas, thank you all so much for jumping in uh, to the Discord chat. Dan, again, the people, you called for the podcast reviews you received. Yeah, five-star Apple podcast reviews from Claire's Daddy, 0825, and Bjorn uh, S., both leaving wonderful reviews on Apple Podcasts. We appreciate it. I think I saw a few more come in, but didn't make it in time for the, the script. But we will get you in the next review that we have, which is uh, Barnsley in the middle of the week. So not too long to get some thanks, but leave a few more. It'd be great. If only we had more matches to review. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, boy. Um, a couple of housekeeping uh, things. One, I posted in the Discord today, so I am a legend. You're welcome. Uh, I posted <laughs> about our merch um and i'm sorry and what of, yep i mm -hmm. uh i posted an am i the asshole for teasing merch too early yes correct uh i scored too early. yep um so i posted about that a merch update in there sneaky little preview for those that are in there got a lot of responses on that um and then uh we're going to be you're like we had a great call with blue wire this week brandon and i were on uh, just talking about future plans a lot of exciting stuff happening there um, that we will share soon, but just note that we're, we're working hard on stuff and, uh, and may even have some sneaky stuff from, from tweets to share too coming up. So lots happening in, in the LIBP plus universe. Um, yeah. 
and uh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Take for that, sure. Paramount Plus. You fuckers. Uh, wait, seriously? Plus. That's the thing? <laughs> Paramount Plus. Yeah. I can't keep up with it. It is. You know what? I, I, I definitely know that there's Peacock going on because, my gosh, did they plug that on the stream about 4,000 times. I'm still not the least bit interested in it. So uh, wrong, wrong community. Anyways, uh, let's go ahead and jump into this match review. Uh, it was Sheffield United. And what we've dubbed on Discord the Gabriel Sheffield Derby because his surname and his Chelsea fandom uh, put him in a very tough position. But it was the Premier League this past Sunday, the 7th of February at Bramall Lane. Thank you, Dan, for knocking that one in for me. Uh, Sheffield United 1, Chelsea 2. Chelsea with all three goals. And to remind you about what happened, we're going to head it over to the fifth stand app, the official Chelsea FC app, for all of your interviews, goals, highlights, commentary, clips, and more. If you haven't Go download it. They are gracious enough to let us use their content for our wonderful podcast. Here we go. Welcome to Bramall Lane. Chelsea face Sheffield United tonight, aiming to rise to fifth in the top division versus the team hoping to bounce from the bottom of the league for the first time since early November. And this is Burke looking to break forward. It's a good opportunity and it's blasted wide. Oliver Burke. Keen Bryant. Chested down, big opportunity for Sheffield United. Was he brought down? Referee yeah. thinks about it and there's, gives it. an offside. And we might get away with this. I think Chelsea will get away with it. Yeah, it's Chilwell in out of position, but I think we'll get away with it. It's offside. Offside, yeah. This is Werner. Looks to pull it back. Man with a shot, yeah. finds the corner brilliantly. Wonderfully teed up and ruthlessly finished. That's a wonderful finish. Difficult to steer into the corner, but he's absolutely perfect. McBurney, further forward, tries to slip it through towards him. And then Rudiger, oh, puts through his own goal. And Sheffield United have got an equaliser. Here's an opportunity for Werner, to take around the keeper. Penalty has to be. Well, our first reaction was penalty. I mean, he's definitely taken down the player. And it has been given. It is a penalty to Chelsea. He took it out in the last one. It was a great penalty. What does he do? Jorginho to put the Blues in front. 2-1. Chelsea lead. The penalty was the correct decision after the video review. And Jorginho makes no mistake from the spot. We've had the added on five. It's towards McBurney who will take it down inside the area. And then shot with the shot. Wonderful save from Mendy. McBurney looks to turn it back in. But he was offside. A late scare. No late joy for Chris Wilder. And it is Thomas Tuchel's side that pick up the win. Full time here. It's finished. Sheffield United 1, Chelsea 2. All right, Dan, lineup time. Let's do it. Ewa Mendy between the sticks, Antonio Rudiger, Andreas Christensen, and Cesar Aspilicueta as your back three. We saw Jorginho Kovacic as that midfield pivot with Ben Chilwell and Reese James on the wings as your kind of wingback situation there. Forwards included Timo Werner, Olivier Giroud, and Mason Mount. Unused substitutes, of which there are many on a Premier League bench this time. Keparitha Balaga, Kurt Zuma, Emerson, Hakim Ziyech, Billy Gilmore, and Tammy Abraham. We did see appearances from Callum Hudson-Odoi very early on, along with Marcus Alonso's double sub in the 62nd minute. And then N'Golo Conte, the new Mikel, shutting it down in the 75th minute. Hey, hey, credit where credit's due, Dan. Yeah. I said it. 
whatever. No credit, apparently. Uh, have I missed yeah. this? Apparently, Jorginho Kovacic is now known as the Jovacic midfield. Has anyone else heard that? Georgie is another one. Um, you know, like the, or was it uh, Corgi? Cor- you know, yeah, it's yeah. A, yeah, cause it's a K. Yeah. Can we, can we not mm. on that? As a lover of nicknames, those are both really terrible. Mm. All right. Well, again, not me. I'm just trying to see if that's a thing. Uh, top line stats. Excuse me. Of this match, uh, Chelsea was 69 percent possession. We had nine shots, only three on target. Sheffield had eight, three on target as well. Uh, a lot of touches, a lot of passes for us, and less for them. Uh, 16 tackles for us, 17 for them. So pretty even, very scrappy um, when each other's in possession. We had 18 clearances actually to the Sheffield's 15, uh, which should make you scratch your head because we had eight corners to their one. Um, eight fouls conceded apiece. The XG on this one, buckle up, ladies and gentlemen. Kaylee underscore graphics bringing it as well. Uh, Sheffield United 0.6 plus one for the own goal. Chelsea 0.6 plus one for the pen. So what you could say is this probably wasn't a great match. Tweeds though, I'll give you XG stats or lineup. Which one do you want to react to first? Uh, probably the XG, I suppose. Um, I think looking back at the game, yeah, it, it, it felt like a game where there probably wasn't that many goals in it. Um, I'm unsure, probably, I suppose the majority of our XG was, was attributed to Mason's shot. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it wasn't a game that I felt there was a lot of creativity and I know we'll probably get into a little bit more detail, but you know, these are sort of the games where I think you need a little bit more from your your midfield pair, certainly in the final third, to try and create a bit more to kind of pull a, a team that wanted to press and were quite aggressive and still pretty difficult to break down. So not a huge amount of chances. I think Giroud didn't really, not not cover himself in glory, but he wasn't particularly effective against the centre-back pairing. And as much as, as Timo worked hard and did well for the goal, there wasn't a great deal of threat, I think, for him, besides obviously the, the, the penalty and the, the, the cutback in terms of him sort of going through and being able to create chances for himself or having shots, et cetera. So it did kind of feel a little bit like one of those games. Um, you know, when when you think back, it's when it's Reese James who's having kind of snapshots, it's probably not the most uh, sort of effective game that we've had. I'm surprised that Sheffield really had that much um, in terms of actually, I can't remember having too many chances. I mean, they had the chance at the death that Mendy saved, but but it could be just that it's not the most memorable game. So yeah, feels feels pretty even. I think we were probably the better side just. Um, penalty was a bit peculiar, but again, we'll probably dig into that in a bit. But yeah, very, very even game. But you know, at this point in the season, Everyone dropping points around us. It's one of those where you just take the three points, go home and say thank you very much. That is the the rational and simple way to do it. But I'm sure we'll make it confusing and emotional in just a second. <laughs> Before we do that, we are going to take our ad break, knock it out of the way. But we do thank the sponsors for financially supporting the show. Uh, they allow us to do a lot of cool stuff uh, and give back to the community. So uh, after this quick break, we'll be right back. All right, so jumping in right away, we can might as well just pick out probably some of the, the top two players in the day being Timo Werner and Mason Mount. Uh, affectionately known as Money Mace with the <laughs> dollar sign tongue emoji. They're finding ways to support one another on the pitch, which is kind of an unlikely duo when you think about it. And, you know, Timo Werner even talking about his his link up with Mason Mount. Um, so with that being said, Dan plays as a left number 10, a winger. We've seen Timo play even up front a little bit. I'm I'm most surprised that he's finding some success without his his fellow German Kai Alberts. They seem to be the ones looking after each other, but it sounds like uh, Timo's making some new friends in the old dressing room. Well, it's good to see. It's good to see Timo 
finding a little bit of goodness, which, you know, he's been running and running and running for uh, a significant number of match with matches without finding things uh, or during the course of the season. So for him to pop up with an assist and then also to earn the penalty, which uh, I, I will take credit for calling that that was going to happen in this game in our discord, that he was just running at those Sheffield defenders and they were completely making a mess of every challenge that they had that game. Uh, that was not, that was not the only time that someone made a mistake in their defense. Um, you know, just one of the only times it actually got adjudicated appropriately, but look, I mean, you know, this is, this is what you want. You want Timo, you know, happy. You want Timo smiling. You want him getting in position. I mean, he, you know, potentially could have been in, you know, a spot to, to find one or two more opportunities in this match. Um, but, you know, they were they were playing a pretty condensed uh, back at times, not giving them a ton of space to move through, Joe. So I, I think ultimately, you know, you this is good progress. But now we need to start seeing him score goals on top of it, too, not just getting into dangerous positions. Yeah, I agree. I think with with Timo, and I think this is something that probably all football fans are guilty of, certainly when you when you look at your own team and you start comparing them to other players. I think we focus a little bit too much on what players can't do. And I know this is something that both myself and, and Chelsea youth share. Sometimes we focus a little bit too much on the negatives. So, you know, Timo playing back to goal, maybe his first touch, et cetera, a little bit erratic at times. But when you can get him confident, when you can get him being direct, the, you know, the assist for the amount of goal, the, the cutback that he took, I mean, it was an exceptional piece of play. I mean, it, it didn't really, for me, come across that they were making a big deal of it. For me, it was such a fantastic cutback great run noticing that you know that Chilwell was likely going to be able to 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 find a decent pass to him etc um I just think yeah you know that his his directness in games it's it's a little bit different for us I think for for so long we've got players who want to come back to the ball that want to receive the ball to feet and I think he kind of has a little bit of change of dynamic a little bit of change of tempo and I think he is starting to get a little bit more confidence back in I really like the way that Mason ran up to him and sort of really celebrated with him for the goal kind of included him in the, in that moment as well. And, you know, the the sort of the, the play for the penalty as well. I mean, you know, again, we were sort of talking a little bit before the, the pod started, but one of the most peculiar penalty decisions that I've seen in ages in that, it, it, you know, he runs from goal, he's absolutely clattered. The linesman is looking right at it, the referee is looking like right at it, and then it felt like 20 minutes passed and then like a random little VAR flag going up and then <laughs> let's go back like 15 minutes and give a penalty. Um, but, you know, great play for, for the goal. Um, and in reality, with the you know with the with the penalty as well, he's he's kind of been sort of one of the de- determining factors in the match. And as much as I think people will want him to be this great playmaker and great technical player, as long as he's impacting games, I think you know the goals will come on all, on all that sort of stuff. But he's played two significant roles in in the goals, and I think probably was one of the the reasons that we actually won the game today. Yes, you want more. Yes, you want him to to do more, etc. But hopefully that will that will come with time. But it's nice to see him start uh, impacting games again. And uh, yeah. I think he was he was good today. You know, said things to improve, but I think largely, if you look at the the impact on the game, you know, in a game that's that's very low xG, very few chances, he was probably you know one of the, if not the, deciding factor for Chelsea. For me, is as we just look at the the offense, and again, this is probably the area where Nick we've seen the most changes from Tuchel, right? Which kind of makes sense. Like he's he's quickly solidified his back line, albeit. It seems like the outside backs or wingers, you know, change minus an injury to 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 Tiago Silva, um, but he's seemingly being able to find relative success with 
being able to change so many different players in these positions, move them around. It's not, it wasn't seamless today. It probably wasn't perfect. But again, to have kind of the two attackers with a very strong focal point of Olivier Giroud today um, was new to the team. And I think, you know, to what Joe said, Mason and Timo really embraced it and found ways to exploit spaces that we, that at least I hadn't seen under Tuchel yet. Yeah, I I mean, it, it hasn't looked... You know, I mean, it hasn't looked fluid. I mean, certainly we've looked more fluid under Sari and Lampard styles um, going forward. I think the interesting part about Timo to me is, yes, he's getting into spaces that are dangerous. Yes, he's drawing penalties, which is you know great. Obviously, that that is fantastic and and helps the team. And his cutback today was far better than uh, some of his uh, other final third passes in recent games. It just does not seem like he's getting into spaces to shoot very often. And when he does, there's, there seems to be a little, you know, kind of pause or hesitance yeah. to, to do that. And so, I, you know, maybe it's just the way that, you know, teams are kind of forcing him out wide or, or forcing him into different channels. And he's not as, as natural um, kind of going those directions. But that that's a curious thing to me, right? Because... I would have thought with Olivier Giroud up front and Mason Mount behind him that he would have been able to kind of bob and weave between those layers and find a little space to, to shoot the ball. And it just didn't really seem like that was the, the game plan. It seemed like he was going to play much more of the distributor role. And even if you know you look at the penalty, for example, he sprayed the ball across, right? He didn't he didn't try and take it himself down down to the byline. He yeah. he tried to spray it, spray it all the way across Joe. So Timo's still kind of an enigma for me. He he clearly had one of his better games in recent memory today, uh, but still a little curious. One very quick thing to add on to that, Nick, is something I've certainly noticed with Timo in the past couple of games. I think a lot of the control and sort of the, the technical short game that you get with, with Kova and Jorginho midfield, Timo, certainly today, I noticed a couple of times that he made some really good early runs, but you just don't have the midfield players at times to, to find that little ball over the top. I know mm-hmm. Kova played one early in the, I think it was early in the first half, which is a fantastic pass. If he's got that in his locker, sometimes you just want to see it maybe a little bit more often. I know that we want to play short. We're trying to retain possession. We're trying to be a little bit more possession dominant at times under Tuchel. But sometimes that variety, or at least the threat of actually putting team over the top, does change the way, you know, maybe Sheffield United don't press as heavy because if they're pressing, they're actually well, they, they will play over the top. And Timo is obviously probably the quickest player on the pitch. So I do feel a little bit for him sometimes that the way that we're playing this kind of short build-up possession phase, that when he's dropping into pockets, playing back to goal, definitely not his strength. You know, I think sometimes it's players don't actually want to pass him the ball because he's not going to retain it. So I think in for his, for, or let's say for him to be successful, to get those chances we saw in the Bundesliga where he was kind of running through on goal, I think we need to have a little bit of a look in terms of just varying some of that build-up and just going long every now and then. I know Thiago Silva can do it. Kova obviously has that pass in his locker. We saw it a couple of times today, but he was at least trying it. But just the threat of Timo going in behind, I think a little bit adjusts how defensive, um, or how defences will play against us. So I'd like to see that a little bit more. But as you're saying, apart from that, those opportunities, he's not really working himself into chances to, to finish. And when he does, it's hesitancy, it's lack of confidence. And, and you see that in, in the way that he's playing a little bit in the in the penalty area at times. And he, he got unlucky today though, Dan. Like you think back to like the third minute and we had that kind of weird bouncing ball that got through to Timo and he tried to poke it across to yeah. Mason. He didn't get enough on it, but like 
if you would have thought about the way that the game unfolded, you get an early one on Sheffield and they have to really come out and adjust their game plan. You know, perhaps he has more chances in behind or whatever. It's a, it's a complete hypothetical, but he, he did look lively. It's just, it's still a little weird looking to me. It was interesting. There was another point too, where Asby could have released him a little early into the box and, you know, Timo mm-hmm. just, I think is kind of, it's sometimes caught between two minds. Like, do I yeah. have to, move back and bring myself onside so that they the individual who's holding on the pass like Aspie in that moment can can load me up appropriately or do I make the run because I think someone's going to try to make that pass and we're not we're not doing either often enough right we we haven't yeah. adapted to one style which is hey we're going to we're going to release that we're going to pull the trigger quick on these passes to get you into space so Timo can just run and would like you know less likely to be offside or he knows that we're not going to make it, so he should just hold back and wait to see the pass go off. But you, you can't try to play it either way. You, you need to kind of say we're going to commit to trying to get you the ball in space. And, you know, Aspi does have that pass. Kova has a pass like that. I mean, we're missing maybe the, the, the Gilmore inclusion, the Thiago Silva being out injured uh, is definitely challenges that, you know, Callum not being on the pitch to start the game. Those are those are people who can help make that pass to put him in the space, Brandon. But when we don't have a consistent effort on it, it's going to create a challenge for trying to get the most or the best out of them. Like it comes down to, you know, training. They want to set up the training and you set it up like in a third of the field and you rotate and then it's like, how quickly can you get that ball in? And they just have to try it so they can find their angles, find the draw, whatever they want to put on the shape. But I mean, a lot of us probably watched the Liverpool City match and you just think to the Mo Salah penalty. Again, release him wide into space and he's got a Diaz, you know, one-on-one running into the box. We just aren't able to complete that pass. And I remember they had the Sadio Mane, which released him long and he ended up getting tripped right outside the box um, mm-hmm. before kind of stumbling in. And those are the situations that, to your guys' point, Chelsea just haven't unlocked yet. And that's something with the attackers that we have. And Tuchel saying explicitly and over and over that, you know, Timo needs to be running in behind defenders. That's where you are at your best. That's where, you know, he wants to be. I doubt he really, you know, it, life is easier. When he's in behind defenders, life is easier. But he hasn't really had that well, chance except for Southampton early in the season. So someone, uh, I think on the NBC coverage, someone said that like, his style is, is far closer to Aubameyang than it is. Oh, any shit, other. that was Tim Howard. Yeah, <laughs> which... It made me pause for a second, but then, you know, I kind of reflected back on types of goals that Aubameyang scores. And it, I think there is, there's some parallel there. It's, it's not, I think Aubameyang's a better, more clinical finisher just overall. I think he, he does more with the chances that he's given, not this year, obviously Um, he's really struggling this year, but uh, in general, in his career, I think he, he really is a good finisher, but that kind of style is, is really interesting. It's also, uh, you know, this we've talked a lot about possession this year, right? And we've talked about high possession, you know, and, and under Tuchel, it's even gone up, you know, not down. I mean, it's that's that's kind of the the wild part is you know seventy percent possession away from home uh, is is interesting, Joe. But to me, when I was watching City earlier, the thing that City do that no other team in the Premier League does, not even Liverpool, is in tight spaces their runners are always looking to break lines and make the perfect pass between those lines. And they have runners. Sterling danced in the box yeah. today, which was amazing. Yeah, they have. They just have runners who are willing to, to try true. shit, 
right? Like, even if it doesn't come off, even if they don't get the ball, they're going to always try and break those lines because that's the only way you get that team out of that set. Once they feel like you can break them, they get disconnected. And and then you saw what City can do, you know, after that. And But this high, it, it does not seem to me that a high possession always in the opponent's final third t- a style of system is going to be natural for Timo. He's probably going to have to adapt his game for something like that. No, I, I was just going to say, on in terms of the the style of, of play, certainly compared to City, the way that they move the ball, so, I mean, compared to us, is is, is night and day. Yeah, I think yeah. that the, the way we use possession, certainly under Tuchel, and I think he's been very clever here, is that he's probably noticed that, that when we lose the ball in the transition or when we try to attack and overlay with numbers and get caught, you know, the, the biggest threat to our midfield pairing is space. You know, if you leave Cover in space or Jorginho in space, we saw a couple of times today, you know, they get a little bit little bit embarrassed trying to sort of play one-on-one with people. And it's not their game. You know, it hasn't been their game since they've been here and, and putting them in that position is is tricky. Um, so sort of playing a possession game, keeping the, the lines tighter, keeping maybe things a little bit more rigid in terms of structure. You don't maybe have people trying to play sort of aggressively, trying to make aggressive movements, playing sort of slightly more trickier passes. I think certainly there are times where we have kind of worked the the ball how, how kind of City do in terms of, you know, we swing it to the left-hand side. And instead of maybe playing one or two passes to then whip it to the right-hand side, we play four or five passes or someone takes too many touches on the ball. And then by the time you kind of get it over to Reese James or somebody else, they've com- kind of completely re- reset their, their defensive structure. I think certainly when we struggle in the final third, when we have this possession and when they're really sort of pressed up the pitch, we lack a little bit of that creativity and that little bit of vision and maybe some of that guile and craft that City have to sort of unlock the door. And I mean, that potentially, that's, that's kind of what you bought Kai Havertz for, which is interesting, you know, obviously that he's he's not really sort of hit those kind of peaks this season, but he theoretically is the guy that is supposed to be the, the locksmith in the team, the guy that can find any key to any padlock and, and unlock it sort of at any time. Um, but I think, yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how this sort of possession-based football really progresses because, yeah, it's great we keep possession, you know, we, we're not turning the ball over as much. We're not as open on the counter. We're not as open defensively. But I do think the pace at which we're playing, certainly at the moment, when teams will come at us and when they can defend like Sheffield United can today, and we have to remember they're not, they're, by, by the league position, they're, they're not one of the better teams that will play in the league. If teams can defend and if they've got that ability to, to, to sort of shift left to right, it's going to be difficult for us to try and break them down as we saw today. A little bit of magic from Mason, a little bit of a gamble from, from Timo, the difference. But that that speed of passing, speed of fault, the ability to play that that final pass, that killer ball, we are lacking a little bit of that at the moment. So how Tuchel develops that for me is going to be the interesting thing because I think that is, I don't think that's, that is what separates us from City, but that is one of the big things that separates us from City, the speed of their pass, decision-making, and their willingness to make those runs and willingness to play those passes, um, those sort of aggressive passes as well. I think it's a, it's a credit to Mason for, you know, the last game we kind of talked about, he had a a great game outside of the final third. And this was the game where he was able to make sure that he put the bow nicely on his performance by uh, actually scoring the goal. Um, But when you look at this, this lineup, I think to the kind of city point of, you know, where do the goals come from when this lineup came out, you know, Giroud looked you know, absolutely lost in yeah. this type of system. You know, you saw, you know, Kovacic and Jorginho, you know, outside of uh, outside of a penalty or kind of a crazy one in every 150 matches for Kovacic, you're not expecting a goal to come from them. And you know, maybe you get lucky with, you know, a, a you know, Andreas Christensen has not scored for Chelsea. Rudiger can occasionally score a header as he gets in with one every now and then, but there wasn't a whole lot 
of goals in this lineup. And if you're going to, you know, be in a position where you're relying on, you know, Timo, who has not been scoring, Drew, who, you know, is getting kind of marked out of the game a little bit by the defenders from uh, from Sheffield, Nick. I mean, there's there's not a whole lot that you can do. And, and maybe that's where you potentially see, you know, as Callum situates in, Ziesh coming in back in potentially, maybe Mason drops a little bit deeper so that you do add a midfielder who can give you a little bit more, you know, of that goal plus assist threat, you know, but gives him a little bit more of the defensive responsibility. Yeah, that's that is going to be interesting. I, you know, obviously credit to Mason for a weak footed shot that was perfectly placed in the far corner today. Just tremendous. Uh, obviously had to tweet at Mike Ryan and, and Chris Whittingham right after that. Just just let him know. Just let him know what's going on after our many conversations over the last couple of weeks. Uh, Mace, Mace had a good game today. And I think in this like weird kind of floating 10 role, Brandon, to me, if he can half turn run with the ball, he's going to have a ton of success in this league um, because there, there are gaps there. And, even Sheffield with how, how tight they were marking and, and pressing, I think had issues at times. If we if we broke that first line of press, there was room to run. I mean, Kovacic had room to run a handful of times today too, to be honest. So it's it, a good game for Mace, and I think, you know, obviously the goal is a, a great finish. Yeah, another stand-up point for him too is, I know we're not judging him on, on how, how much he runs, but – you know, he broke up a really good counterattack that we gave away softly off uh, a corner kick, where we it was ours mm-hmm. in the in the other in the other kind of um, box or whatever. So, anyways, he you know he was able to to track back and break it up and did well. Didn't have to uh, foul. Didn't have to drop a, a caution. Uh, you know, pick up a book or anything like that. So he did well with that as well. So I just think that um, yeah, so far so good with him. He's. He's getting minutes. I thought it was funny. Was it the one or two matches he didn't like start under Tuchel and everyone was like, oh, Mason's gone. Well, he's not gone. He just needed some time, get some minutes, and uh, he's going to be playing in between the lines a lot. And and maybe that'll be a little bit more closer to what he did at Derby and it'll be a little bit more comfortable. But all all we've kind of always want to see with Mason is some consistency to get traction. Um Timo just posted a nice a nice Twitter post with a finger pointing at Mason Mount and them hugging. So Got bromance, the man crush? Bromance secured. There we go. Nailed it. Bam. Well, oh, yeah. It's good to get Timo on the uh, goals and assists chart, uh, which is important. So outside of our attack, uh, defense today was not great. We've had some changes. Um, we had some poor performances. And we gave up our first goal under two goal. It was obviously going to happen eventually. Did I expect it to happen like this? I sure didn't. Did I expect Rudiger to poke it into his own goal? I sure didn't. Because I didn't really think Rudiger would be playing at this point, if you asked me two weeks ago. So anyways, um, Christensen has jumped in the line. Big shoes to fill, metaphorically, obviously, Dan. Uh, and the fact that uh, Tiago Silva out with an injury. And what was the update today? Is it still an injury or was there something else going on with him? I can't remember. It still seems to be out at the moment, so it'll be interesting to see what the extent of that is. I would imagine that you don't see him play versus Barnsley. I mean, Newcastle might be the next match where he potentially is healthy enough to to come back in. But I, I mean, found look, the update. They're shooting. Did? Yep, he's not fit. They're shooting for Southampton, but that's an ambitious target. 
So we definitely need to talk about Christensen because we might be seeing him for a couple of weeks all of a sudden. Well, let's just also talk about the fact that Tomori had another really uh, good game for AC Milan. Really, Dan? Oh, Twisting yeah. the knife. Look, I'll still gonna, wear my thick kit. I'll do it. You do it. should because it's a absolutely ridiculous decision amidst everything else to send him away, knowing that this was going to happen most likely. So, you know, whatever. Beyond that, Christensen looks better in the back three, which I think is the biggest takeaway here. I mean, look, he he did so and has performed well for Chelsea under a back three previously. It looks much better under you know in that type of system than under a back four. Uh, you know, I would like to actually see a little bit more of what he did at one point in the match where he actually tried to progress the fall forward, which was something mm. he had done uh, on loan in Germany. Uh, he was very comfortable with carrying the ball forward and trying to mm-hmm. help break some of those lines to allow the defense to move up and compress the the game effectively. Uh, but that is not something he did too often. Uh, but I also think that maybe is down to the fact that, you know, our midfield didn't always have the easiest time of kind of keeping the ball with the, the way that the press was happening for the majority of the match, Nick. So uh, I I'm okay with Christensen in this back three. It to me though, is maybe the crazier question is, wow, Kurt Zuma fallen so far off the map from number one, to number four in the span of three weeks, there ha- there has to be a reconsideration there. I, that that to me is is crazy. And uh, you know, you look at Rudiger today, who I think um, d- did not have his his best game. Clearly, the own goal, the o- the own goal is ridiculous. I mean, especially for as much time and space as he had to play that ball. I mean, it's you got to get on the same page with the goalkeeper there. And, and I realize those errors can happen. So uh, I hope that this doesn't seem like, oh, one error and you're out. Like, that shouldn't be the case. But that's a bad one. And then just some of the general passing from him today was a mess. And then he he was involved in kind of a, a soft penalty claim at the end, too. I know he had a couple of headers and that, you know, because the tides turn on Twitter so quickly, Joe, people were like, well, he's back, you know? Um, <laughs> so, you know what? I, I understand how the game's played there, but I, I we've seen Kurt Zuma play on that side of, of a three before. I, I think you have to give Zuma another look after today. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, the, the own goal, I mean, I, I was, I thought something had happened because I was in such shock. It, you know, yep. it's one yep. of them where if, if it happens on FIFA, you're screaming that the game's scripted, the controller's going into the wall. You know, it, it's it was such a strange thing. And it seemed like the whole entire pitch slowed down and it was in slow motion. And there was a camera shot behind the goal and you could see all the Chelsea players almost looking like something could have gone wrong. Um, and then like the, the rest of the game, I think, as you say, I think, you know, I'll, I'll give him his G's, you know, he had some good blocks and some, some good moments towards the end at the death there. But, you know, some of the, the passing, particularly there was one out to... Alonso, right at the death where, you know, you're trying to keep the ball, you're trying to keep possession. And he plays it like a yard behind him and then gives him a death stare when Alonso is, is expecting to run onto it, stops and can't get it. And you're thinking like Rudiger, like, mm, okay, come on. Um, yeah, you know, I, I don't think he, he necessarily has the, the passing quality. Um, I think the interesting thing with Rudiger is that he now looks to me like he can only really play in a back three. You know, I think when, when we've seen him playing a back two or back four, even I should say with, with two centre-backs, you know, it's it's not a great look for him. So, you know, you, you have arguably between him and Christensen and Aspi, three guys who this is probably their position now if they're to remain at Chelsea. But 
Insofar as Zuma goes, yeah, I find it a little bit perplexing. Um, you know, I don't want to dig into the, the, the locker room politics and, and how a lot of the so-called people that were called out in certain journalist articles are now playing quite regularly. And maybe that's too cool being a little bit sensible and not stirring the, you know, stirring the pot too much. But, you know, Zuma, I think he's, I do think he's a better overall defender than, than Rudiger. I think he's better in the air. I think we miss his, his threat from set pieces. Noticeable to me now that, yeah, we had a few little flick-ons, but with Zuma there, I think we have a genuine threat and an ability to, to score. Um, and certainly when it comes to defensive side of the game as well, you know, people always talk about Zuma's lack of technicality and how awkward he looks. You know, I've never seen him kind of sort of walk the ball into his own net and give away an own goal of, of that kind of magnitude. So I would like to see him come back in. I don't know if it's something that Tuchel is going to look at, but I think from that left side of centre-back spot, yeah, and without harking on about the fact that Tamori would be fantastic at this point in time and he's playing so well in Italy as well. Just compounds it that tiny bit more, but I would like to see Zuma. I think he'll play in the cup game the next game we have. So hopefully if he puts in a performance, he might be able to sort of push his way back into the into the frame. Well, that, and that's the thing. And do we play back three slash five for that cup game or do we switch up again? Because another person who seemed to not, it's early days, right? So no one's calling him for to get the sack. But Chilwell... Might as well have gotten subbed at halftime. 62nd minute is essentially halftime, AK. It gave the subs enough time to warm up and get ready. Uh, he had so, he had some good runs today, I thought. They didn't play him in at all. Like, I, I, I was screaming at my at the TV, like, he's in acres of space just going that, yeah, I saw that. which isn't his fault. The penalty was a it was a debacle three times over on his part, which, okay, got bailed out. You know, sometimes it happens. Understood. I, again, I'm still trying to figure out how he fits in in that system. Nick, if it's a, we're not getting him the ball in dangerous places, but he brought Alonzo on, you know, re-struggled as well, which we don't have to worry about right now because he didn't get subbed off. But if we just look at Chilwell for now, he's got a lot of work to do to just find the balance in that system uh, moving forward. Yeah, I, I think I think this was especially complicated today because we're talking about Rudiger and we're talking about Chilwo both on the same Left side, side, right? Yeah. So it, you know, it, I don't I, I don't know if there's an extreme amount of confidence there. I, you know, I think Chilwo is is much more of a natural left back and and has a, um, a bias towards defending more than he does uh, attacking. But even then, we've seen him attack really well this season put in some really quality service into the box and and even when he got through on some of these uh on some of these runs today dan which was very uh it didn't have very often the the service doesn't look like it's it's confident right now either and it's just it's a bad combination when tuchel or tuchel says at the beginning of the at the match and the pre-match press press conference that Alonzo needs a rest because he's not used to playing. And then, you know, he comes in for the final 30. I mean, that's, that's a tough, tough look. Yeah. Things he didn't expect in 2021 was uh, a resurgence for Marcus Alonzo and Ben Chilwell being out in the colds as it were. It's just, it's so crazy to me that, you know, the, I mean, and, and look, you know, you talked rightfully about the, the change of formation. I actually think it's put, Ben Chilwell and Reese James both under a little bit of additional pressure. I mean, Reese does not look as comfortable in that wingback position as he does, you know, playing in a back for us right back where he gets the opportunity to really work on an overload, really work on the overlapping runs. You know, he's his amount of 
back passes now in a match relative to some of the more forward or progressive passes he was making or the interchange he would have uh, with a with a Ziesh with a Callum on the right hand side it is so diminished now in the way that this is set up. And while we definitely have a little bit more of that defensive uh, stability in terms of the you know we're co- conceding fewer shots, um, holding more possession on the ball. Like the the inverse problem here is that you have players in Chilwell and, and Reese Joe who maybe are not as comfortable playing this way, and either they have to find their confidence or it's possible that maybe there there's someone else in the lineup who's going to have to to jump in for him. Yeah, Reese Reese is the interesting one for me because I think even watching him at the academy level, he was never the really the right wing back in terms of how Chelsea played. You know, you had Dujan Sterling, you had Tarek Lamptey, you had guys who who probably had a more of a natural wing-back skill. So I think Reese is probably one of the most well-balanced full-backs in the Premier League, but he is a right-back. He's a right-back in the back four. That is his position. And if the back three stuff is going to continue, and, you know, I don't think this is something that's going to happen because Aspie is captain, but Reese as a right-centre-back is where he played a lot for the academy. He's played there a lot. He was fantastic in the FA Youth Cup playing there, fantastic for the 18s. As the as the the right side of centre back in the back three, he's obviously got the size. I think he would probably have a better range of passing. He's more physical. Or, or we know I think probably Reese is a better footballer technically than than Aspi at this point in his career. Um, so Reese for me potentially is is that first centre back. But as a, as a wing back, he doesn't have that that level of dynamism. Certainly when you compare him to someone like Callum, who is obviously more of a winger but playing sort of in a little bit more of a, a kind of defensive position. I think wing backs these days they're quite one-on-one one in terms of their skill set. You look at how Tarek plays at Brighton, for example, his ability to actually beat players. You know, he's more of kind of a quasi-winger, right midfielder than he is a, a fullback. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how they're used going forward because, yeah, I think against Spurs, it made sense. They were very defensive. I think there were times today where he got forward and he had some nice opportunities, but you can see his his first thought when he gets the ball now is to, doesn't necessarily always have the winger ahead of him because you've got this split strikers or you've got a striker and you've got two tens who are playing a little bit more in field. Doesn't quite have that relationship that he did previously with the players ahead of him. So yeah, going to be interesting how he fares. And I think Cheerwell as well. You know, I think his, yeah, his his game today, first half. I mean, I, I kind of agree. I think he's another victim of the fact that we're just not really moving the ball quickly. And if you, if he's going to be standing out on the touchline, just waving his arms around. <laughs> and I, I know what Nick was saying. There was there was a point where he actually was sort of waving slightly comically um, in terms of getting the ball. Um, but again, it shows you that, you know, in, in that sort of system that you have specialist players. You know, you have a specialist wingbacks. They are wingbacks. They're not necessarily great fullbacks. You know, Victor Moses was never going to play right back when we went to a back four, but he was like, you know, the Nigerian Kaffee when he was playing as a, as a wingback. And the same with Marcus Alonso. He's not a great left back, but as a wingback, he has used, you know, he's got... He's got, um, you know, ability to play there. So it's going to be a tricky one. I mean, I, I think potentially Tuchel, you know, he likes playing about four, he likes playing about five, back three, whatever it's going to be. But if he wants to get the best particularly out of those two players, they are young, they are probably the future of those positions. Um, you're probably looking at back four at some point. And then, as we sort of alluded to earlier, we don't really have the right centre-back combination at the moment, unless you go back to Silva and Zuma, um, to maybe play those positions. And then even then we've got the back four, we don't quite have the midfield to cover them. So it, it's a little bit of a... You know, you kind of move positions uh, or move move strengths one place and then you get weaknesses in other areas. Try and cover that up, go to different formation, you create new weaknesses. So I think it, it, it kind of lends itself to the squad is not quite suited to one style or another at the moment. And that, that probably will be the puzzle that Tuchel has to solve for the, for the rest of the season. All right. Well, let's, let's, uh, let us help him solve it here. <laughs> if we were to go ahead and put together 
a best 11 for Tuchel, assuming everyone's healthy. Which, On the spot. Right, which is a terrible thing for us to do as we just picked up injuries. Um, assuming we're going to play 3-4-3, three, three, we can all agree very quickly that Edouard Mendy will be in goal. So yes. moving on to the defense, if we have three center backs and all healthy, Dan, don't these three essentially pick themselves already? I mean, you know, in terms of what we just discussed, I, I don't know necessarily if that's the case. I mean, I, I, who I would expect would be the Silva, Asby, and Rudiger selection. I mean, I, I think that's what I would anticipate. I think, Joe, you made a great comment about Reese maybe versus Asby in terms of just what they offer. But I, I don't foresee, at least right now, uh, no. Tuchel moving away from from that three it just doesn't seem like he wants to and you know seems like that's you know the the veteran leadership that he's kind of asked for um whether or not you know get scoring an own goal um of that nature <laughs> qualifies as leadership i don't know but I, that's what i just would expect he pencils in any strong I would, arguments I would, I would change it but then right, so, I, so i completely agree with dan i think that in Tuchel's mind at the moment that is his strongest back three i think on terms of ability I would go with Kurt as the left centre-back. I would play Thiago Silva in the middle and I would play Reese James as the right centre-back. And that would be the back three that I would I would personally pick. Mm. I just wonder I like if Joe's you're not... better if, than, than Tuchel's, just to be fair. I like I'm it just, better. I'm just worried that you don't get enough out of Reese James in that position because he is so dynamic. But uh, let me hold. Let me hold. We don't need to get into that. Nick, from a <laughs> midfield perspective, what do you think his best 11 is in the midfield with this system, including the wing-backs? And then we can see if there are any strong opinions that are against you. Man, <laughs> I mean, it's it's tough, right? Because I think right before Tuchel came on, you know, Mount was playing a little further back, right? Which was interesting. Jorginho and Kovacic weren't playing that often. Um, Jovacic. No, 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 no. Love the way Brown to deliver that. <laughs> I think, I mean... <laughs> it's all right just throw it um, out there come on no, you got this build I, them up guys give them some confidence i, I, I think i think you, you have this, to Nick. you have to play alonzo right now don't you okay i, I think that's... so yeah as much as it as much as i'm smirking when i'm saying that i think yeah i think alonzo is the default default left wing back and and then and then i think you play callum on the other side yeah mm-hmm. uh which that's is, what i go with. which is interesting and then like I think he will play Kovacic and Jorginho until the wheels fall off. I don't know if I would do that personally, but that's what it looks like he's doing. Is that but what you think his best kind of like middle four is right now? I, I think With what you've seen? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think I don't truly understand his style yet. It's it's half Conte, half sorry weird kind of midfield <laughs> tent. Like, I, mm. but I, I'm, I'm so I'm just saying as a, as a supporter, I'm struggling with a little bit of it. You know, it's been successful. I'm just don't know the pattern of play. Yet. Any, any strong opposing opinions. I mean, there's no world cup winning in Golo Kante in here. I'd go, I'd go Kante Kova. And it's not because I'm the, the world's biggest Jorginho critic, although technically I, I might be in that, that conversation. Um, I just think that if I don't think you need both of them in the team, I, I think I see that certainly today. We don't quite have the, the profile of midfielder that I'd like that can actually defend, play well in the middle, and actually add something in the final third. So I probably choose Cover because he's got that ball carrying ability, and Kante because at least he is well class at sort of winning the ball back. And there are times certainly in this game where we missed a few tackles in midfield that actually you know better teams might have taken advantage of some of those situations. So maybe I'd go Kante and cover, but, uh, you know, it's... I, 
It's a bit I, tricky at the moment. I, I'd also say on this too, with Silva back there, Jorginho has more accurate passes coming into him. Um, yeah. and, and he's looked a little bit better. I, I'm not telling you that's who I'd pick, but you know, I think that's part of the reason for his resurgence is he's, he's just clearly identified. Like I have a direct connection here and this guy's going to give me an accurate ball 98% of the time, you know? So, well, we'll, we'll have to see. Um, COVID or Conte could have had a shot today, but passed off to the side. He just still doesn't want to do it. Um, all right, Tweeds, you get attack. You get the the front three for this one. Oh, the, the easy positions to fill. <laughs> are, we, are we assuming that everyone is fit, yeah? If everyone yes. is fit. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, and there are no personal problems like Pulisic had today. Family okay. issues. So I probably... And okay, this, this is me being a little bit outside of the box, which is generally how I tend to approach most things. I would play uh, Mount just doing the Mount role, which is wherever he feels like being in the attack. Um, I would play Pulisic and I would actually play and try Kai Havertz as that false line that Mason's been playing a little bit. Because I think when he was at Leverkusen, he started to play that role and that's when he started coming into the consciousness of a lot of people. He's good in the air. I think actually him dropping into the spaces... You know, receiving the ball, I'd like to see it happen. And I think maybe combining with with Pulisic and also Mason just doing the Mason role. And obviously that means Timo's on the bench, for example. But I would like to see those three play together because you've got, I think with, with Pulisic, you've got that directness, dribbling ability, Mount, all the energy, we've seen what he can do today. And I think Havertz, that might potentially be a position that he, he can shine in as well because I think he's played particularly well there. If you can drop deep, you've got Callum overlapping. Alonso, obviously, we know he likes arriving. <laughs> just a quick slight sign on this there was a point today at like 10 minutes from the end of the half um, and for some reason Alonso had drifted all the way from the left wing and he was standing like on the right hand corner of the penalty area for absolutely no reason got in got in the way of whatever build up play was happening and fell over and lost the ball I was just like yes let's go Alonso but yeah that, that, that would be my front three um, just to try it because I think yeah there is something there with Havertz in, in that, that area any strong opposing feelings I expect I, them I mean, might you're, be, but... <laughs> you're 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 over three on strikers uh, in the team with the front three, but I mean at the no, same sh- point, I don't know. I, I I'm willing to try anything that will score goals at this point because that's something that we have not uh, looked like doing, Dan. Well, I mean, if you if you're gonna go with a model, especially with like I'm just taking Joe's lineup here. If you're gonna have you know Reese in the back, if you're gonna have Callum. You know, if you're going to have maybe then a mount uh, on the, the the right, potentially, uh, or maybe more as like the, you know, the, the central fixture. And then you have Havertz and Pulisic ahead of him. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, look, you know, Alonso scored goals for us recently. Benjova hasn't, you know, Callum has scored goals more recently for us than, than other players. Um, you know, Pulisic is still trying to figure out if he can score another goal this season to get to a total of two. Um <laughs> I just need to you need to get more people who would be comfortable shooting on the pitch because Angola Conte had a chance to potentially shoot didn't take the shot today uh Jorginho is not going to shoot from outside the box you're gonna get a lofting ball from Kovacic um yeah I mean we need to score more goals like that that's it like that they're, 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 my, my my thesis for Chelsea 2020 uh 2020 2021 score more goals I have a I have a name for this formation, which is the reverse mullet. Um, it is it is party and uncertainty in the front, and just a lot of business in the back. You know, 
straight from the uh, Pep Guardiola Barcelona how to play football manuscript from 2008. That is right. The, the, the forgotten chapter. <laughs> El reverse mullet. We like it. Yep. Uh, all right. Well, that will be pretty interesting, uh, especially when we put this out there on social media and in the, the radio waves to hear what people think. But I mean, this leaves out Ziesh, Conte, Tammy, Werner, Chilwell, um, some some big players. Does that just mean we have a stronger bench? We can attack teams differently in the second half. We'll have to see. But this is the uncertainty that comes with uh, with the new manager. I mean, think how hard Frank pushed for Chilwell, played him literally nonstop, and now potentially he's not as well suited. And the guy who walked out of the stadium at halftime against West Brom earlier this season is back in the lineup. That is just absolutely wild. So we'll have to figure it out. Um, but let's go ahead and start the wind down on this one. Dan of the match, sir. No shenanigans, no misses, but also not a lot of time to uh, get the votes in. Yeah, but uh, we, we definitely have a clear favorite here. Uh, it might, might be a stop the count moment, just this. Uh, but Timo Werner, 55%. Wins a man of the match, Dan of the match poll. Oh, my God. I think that's right. It's incredible. It's incredible. Um, I mean, he wins a penalty and he gets an assist. So, you know, I mean, just on, on you know, total contributions, you know, he was pivotal to us winning the match. It makes sense to me. So I went ahead and checked it, get a little update. Uh, by the way, I threw, my, threw away my vote by voting for Christensen. Just want to put that on record. Uh, Werner's up to 57%. So uh, he's actually continued to do better. We need Kornacki uh, in here to to just make sure that we have all the votes counted <laughs> at the end of this and that the percentages are right. Is this official? Have we declared? Yeah. We, we're waiting for the, Look, the we network to chime in. still got votes coming in from Allegheny County on who the man of the match was. Maybe Mason Mount with a late surge, but we don't know until we get those ballots in, those mail-in ballots. That's right. They stay in the match poll. Sorry, Allegheny County. I'm over that stuff, guys. It's time to move on. I can't go back that far in my life. Uh, the rest of the fixtures in February in case you have forgotten. Uh, as Tweeds mentioned earlier, we've got FA Cup fifth round action with Barnsley. Uh, then we're going to, and that's the on fight, Thursday. Fighting Barnes, man. The, they fight are. Fighting Barnes. Smashed them earlier this year. Ooh. Newcastle got moved from Sunday to Monday. Thank so God. Enjoy, really your Valentine, enjoy your Valentine's Day, Nick. Uh, mm. You've got the, the entire day to do whatever you want. Yes. Southampton will be a week later on February 20th. So that'll be nice. An entire four and a half, five days off between matches. That'll be great. Uh, and then it's Champions League. Let it go Madrid first leg, uh, the 23rd, which is a oh. quick turnaround. And then Manchester United, the 28th, to wrap up this short month. Um, <laughs> some of the results this weekend. This is a whole other talking point. Uh, great weekend. Nick, run us through what in the world happened in the Premier League. Arsenal continued to Arsenal and lost to Villa 1-0. <laughs> um, it was horrible to watch. Uh, Burnley and, and Brighton and Hove Albion, two teams on the ascendancy, 1-1 draw, just really fighting it out. Newcastle beating Southampton, did not see that coming, um, but but that's a thing that happened. Uh, Fulham and, and West Ham played the most interesting nil-nil draw I can remember in a very long time, including a, just an absurd red card at the end. I mean, oh, my God, figure it out, guys. Good Lord. Uh, Manchester United win. No, they don't. In the 95th minute, they give up an equalizer. Incredible stuff. Uh, I did have quite a chuckle at that. 
Uh, Spurs beat the the hapless uh, West Brom uh, Albion. They're terrible. Uh, Wolves and Leicester, important nil-nil draw for Chelsea there. Um, it, again, another big fixture. Uh, it looks like City won 150 to zero today. Uh, that <laughs> Sorry, was good. Liverpool. Sorry, well, Liverpool. Yeah. Sorry, champs. There goes your um, goal difference. <laughs> and then it looks it looks like Chelsea picked up points on on uh, some of our rivals here and are now in. Uh, uh, what does it look like here, Brandon? Fifth place. Fifth place that, on goal. That's right. You were probably looking too far down the table, Nick. Uh, we jumped <laughs> from eighth to fifth. Uh, Tweeds most important non Chelsea uh, result this weekend, in your opinion. I think probably Leicester, I'd say the draw. Mm. I think it would have been interesting if they would have lost, but I still think Liverpool are a good team. Obviously, they're going through a bit of a blip at the moment. But I think Leicester are the team that I potentially think will challenge for that that fourth uh, Champions League spot. Um, continue to get back at them. I think we, do we play them at Stamford Bridge later this season? Or if they, no, is it, or is it Leicester? I can't remember. I completely we forgot. We play Leicester at Stamford Bridge, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so you know, if, if we look at it in that in that respect, then if we we you know take that as a win, then we're not too far off them. So, um, yeah, they're they're the ones that I've got in my sights, and I just just because it's it's great to see Arsenal just continuing to be a mid-table team. I know I've said this to so many people, but growing up in London with Arsenal and being so successful in the late '90s and early 2000s, their fans are some of the worst people to be around when they're successful. To to see them really just become relatively mediocre, relatively obscure. It it warms the soul on a continual basis. So it's like a nice little glass of whiskey for me every time I see them in 10th. It is very nice. So uh, yeah, whenever they lose, it's always a good day for me. Uh, yes, Leicester's May 15th, second to the last match of the season. Arsenal, speaking of them, third to the last match and Man City, fourth of the last. So we got to get our points early uh, because it's not going to be fun playing them right at the end. We seem uh, to have this ridiculous running the past couple of seasons. It's always been slight, like that's like Heavy. how it's been coded. <laughs> Heavy, yeah. The I would say the the Everton draw was a, that's those are that's a big point for that. Yeah. Um, especially considering they have two games in hand on us. Same with Villa. I mean that that Villa result was unfortunate for us because I don't think they offered a hell of a lot the rest of the game after they scored in like the second minute or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you would have expected that Arsenal would have given them a better fight, but. Alas, they only turn it on when we come around, so good stuff. <laughs> the other thing to consider, too, is that the next match Leicester and Liverpool play is each other. So there is a massive opportunity for us looking at what comes next. You know, if Liverpool lose, you know, there's an opportunity to actually go back into fourth position. If Leicester lose and Liverpool go up, you still made up you know, ground on, on Leicester. So, or they draw. I mean, that, that's great too. Right. Draws. We want draws across the board and to win. Like that's, that's it. So again, let's run through the, the top six real quick. Um, Man City in first, 50 points, 22 played. Man United in second, 23 played, 45 points. So there's a five-point gap now. Leicester City, 23 matches played, 43 points. Liverpool, 23 matches played, 40 points. Chelsea, fifth, 23 matches played, 39 points. And then West Ham, sixth, 23 matches, 39 points. As you look at the goal difference, City just absolutely running away with that 150 nil win today on goal mm-hmm, difference. Mm-hmm. But no, in all honesty, they have a plus 29 goal difference. United are plus 19, Leicester are plus 14, Liverpool plus 15, Chelsea plus 14, West Ham plus 6. So as we look at tiebreakers and all these other you know factors that could come at the end of the season, 
were right there in the midst of it as well. I think to, you know, to the point about Everton drawing United, that also halts their momentum. Um, it also kind of keeps them from really living it up a little bit. Um, so uh, a huge opportunity to leapfrog Liverpool um, at the at the weekend. But again, we can't overlook the FA Cup. Uh, Chelsea, I think, especially are very excited uh, about that tournament and that competition because of how many times we've won it and and how much it means. So um, what an amazing run that we've had an opportunity like this is Tuchel will not look to uh, stop all of his got great momentum undefeated in his first four matches, winning three, including beating Tottenham with Barnsley. I, I would say this, though, like you look at Liverpool and, and Leicester in particular, right? Um, and, and I throw West Ham in there for shits and giggles. Of those three teams, I almost think West Ham are the most dangerous, <laughs> like right now, which I know is ludicrous to say. And like people are going to come at me. That's fine. I think Liverpool lost their clutch gene, man. And and that was probably the most dynamic thing that they've had over the last four or five years. Like they have had a clutch team. They haven't they haven't looked like it. They looked defeated. Allison's rattled. Yeah. Oh, he was uh oh, the the two mistakes today were crazy. But just just to what Nick said there, it's particularly in, in the Premier League in terms of teams like repeating and winning titles. I think for Liverpool because they had that super they like lost the league by one point didn't they to City like they, and that they were unbelievable that season. Then to then win it that massive high, and then I just think it's so difficult to replicate those levels once you've actually won it. You see it with so many teams who win championships in any sport the following season trying to keep that that momentum, that feeling going. Obviously, they've lost Van Dijk and he is an absolutely exceptional centre-half and makes them twice as good as what they are. But I just don't, I don't see the same level, you know, but I think both their fullbacks are worse this season. The midfield, the energy seems to be down all over. And I think it's difficult to try and maintain the level once you've, once you've reached the top of the mountain. Um, I think City will coast the rest of the season. You know, they're, yeah. they're, they've won 4-1 at Anfield without De Bruyne, without Aguero, you know, with, I mean, barely barely really breaking out of uh, second gear at times. So it's theirs to lose. And it would be nice, as you say, if we can keep sneaking up the rails. I'd like to be sort of in the top four at some point in the next two, three weeks, start putting pressure on the uh, the other teams around us because we do have that two cool bounce still. And I think that that energy that he's given us in terms of him coming in and the new manager and all that kind of stuff gives us a little bit of an edge on some of the, uh, some of the teams around us, definitely. Yeah, I, I think the... I have your Liverpool and your Leicester and, and you know what is below you, it's going to start getting really, really nervous for those two. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and I think Lester, frankly, I don't know if they have, if they have the horses, right? I, you know, you looked at the, the Wolves game today. It's just, it wasn't very they fell good. Away last, was it last season? They fell away as well. They fell away yeah. quite badly, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. It'd be nice if that happens again. <laughs> Well, and, and it's again, one of the areas, though, where having a, a big squad, while it definitely was tough for Frank, as injuries go through, as we still have COVID situations taking place, like this is not the worst. It is now gone from being a major problem to actually potentially being yeah. a decent benefit that we can pull from those resources if we need to. Where, like, Sheffield did not fill out a full reserves bench today. Like, that is the reality of the situation here. Obviously, yeah. it is an expanded bench, but. But still, like that just shows you that, you know, squads are going to struggle and none of those teams above us, uh, you know, outside of Leicester uh, have any less matches to play for the remainder of the season. Yeah, it's an interesting point. You look at sort of the the way that Tuchel has sort of rotated the team. We, we've almost got four, three to five players playing now 
regularly who really haven't played that much football this season. There isn't that much mileage in the legs on them. So, you know, second half of the season, I think, uh, you know, Alonso's barely kicked the football this season for Chelsea. You know, he's basically fully fit. So, yeah, interesting going into the second half of the season with, you know, people sort of being brought back in a little bit from the cold, but no mileage on the legs, probably not having the the accumulated fatigue that we've seen from, from guys, you know, potentially who've been playing a lot longer, the Masons and, and others who've been playing beginning part of the season. Could be what we need just to sort of sneak up a little bit on the uh, on the outside rail. But yeah, it's going to be it's going to be interesting because I think that you know Dan's Dan's right there in terms of the squad size was a little bit of a hindrance, but it could be sort of the secret weapon as we try and close out the uh, the season. And uh, in terms of the FA Cup, it would be great to win it this season because we have yeah you know we have history in the competition, but it would be nice to get certainly for some of the younger players uh, a kind of title under their belts. So I know it's not maybe as prestigious as what it was, um, but having a, a cup win always I think is a nice way to to sort of bookmark the end of the season, particularly because I don't think we're going to, well, in my head, in my head, we can definitely overtake City, but I don't think it's actually, it's actually going to happen. So, Well, outside of City, who are on blistering form, the second best team in form right now is Brighton. Undefeated <laughs> in their last five. Three wins, two draws. Outside of them, it's actually Chelsea and West Ham. All right. So we both have uh, three wins and a draw in our last five. So again, that just shows you even Liverpool, they've lost three of their last five, winning two. Leicester City have won two, drawn two, lost one. Same thing with United, won two, drawn two, lost one. Look at one. Southampton, five in a row. Cool. Yeah, which they Taking were the they were knocking around the, the top four as well, and they have plummeted. So th- this season is wild. I think someone on Twitter, Discord, is like, what a day when you can win and go from eighth to fifth, you know, and technically <laughs> <laughs> knocking on the door for higher. Um, so anyways, it, it's wild, but before we go, we have one last thing to touch on. Uh, the, the brilliant Chelsea women did play today. Uh, quite unfortunately, Dan, um, I, I don't know how to say this. I haven't had to say it in a long time. I, they lost. Yeah. It's, uh, if you were up early enough to to watch it and to take it in, it was one of the more infuriating watches uh, in, of, of the kind of campaigns that we've seen over the past couple of years. Uh, weird officiating, um, just odd Telfoid moment in there too, kind of with uh, some you know some of the goal Telford. action. Telford. Uh, uh, Every time. Anti goalkeeper. Yeah. <laughs> Anti goalkeeper. Dan. Uh, always. Uh, but yeah, Nick, it just, it's, it, look, I think the weird thing was, is just the amount of uh, crate. This just happens to be a thing now. Anytime there's a loss, people just, you know, some people kind of come out of the work and, and go after players. And like, that is not the type of response required. Like the type of response required is to rally around the team and, you know, know that they're going to start another 30 plus game win streak here uh, in the next match. It's, it's a weird them. thing. This, this ahead, it, it, it kind of works in, in journalism as well, and it really frustrates me in that the people making these comments, whether it's inflammatory articles about Raheem Sterling, Marcus Rashford, you know, Reese James, whoever it's going to be, these papers fully know what they're doing in terms of writing the article, writing the headline. They know that it's going to generate clicks. And the thing is, like, you want to call it out because it's the right thing to do, but it gives it publicity. You're just adding gas to the flames. But if you ignore it, then you're ignoring it, and then that's also a bad thing to do. And it's the same with all these sort of weird faceless trolls who attack Reese James, who are attacking uh, Axel Tanzibi, who are attacking you know, Marcus Rashford, etc. You you have to call it out and 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 kind of you know call it out for what it is and, and and put a spotlight on these people. But it's kind of what they want as well. It kind of fuels them. 
And this sort of weird kind of cycle that you get into, both in terms of journalism and articles, some of the stuff written about Marcus Rashford, you know, is, is insane considering what he's actually done in the UK, particularly over the, the, the pandemic period and, and way, way beyond that. Um, but it's it's this kind of catch-22 where if you ignore it and, and, you know, hope it goes away, it doesn't because, you know, people want to call it out and, and show, you know, show it for what it is, which is just disgusting and deplorable behaviour. But it's what the people want. It's what the newspapers want. And it, it's, you know, how do you, how do you break that cycle of, of not giving them attention, but then, you know, telling them that this is absolutely completely wrong. It's, it seems impossible. And it's such a difficult position to, to be in. All right. Yeah, I, I don't know, man. Like these, these women are incredible. Just support them. Like, what are we, what are we doing here? Like, if you can't support these guys, then good luck with <laughs> the men. The most insane team that, that's, that's playing in the, in the country at the moment. They just what, do they win like 30 odd games in a row? I mean, it just doesn't really happen. We are unbeaten for 30 odd games or whatever it was. It's just insane. Victims just won six of their own success. On Wednesday. Yes. Like, v- victims of their own success is what happens yeah. when you set the bar so high. Look, sometimes you just run out of steam. Sometimes you need to stumble so you can get back on. But yeah, look, the, the, this team, they're absolutely phenomenal. They are poised to win everything uh, and more. So um, they're still look, top of the league with a game back, in hand on United. Like, it, exactly. give me a fucking break here. What are yeah. we doing? All right. That's going to wrap us up. Thank you so much, Mr. Joe Tweeds. We appreciate you. Yeah, cheers, guys. It's been uh, it's been good fun. Maybe not the, the best game we've ever covered, but uh, yeah, hey. it's still interesting nonetheless. Three points, FC. It's all three we points, can. yeah, three points is all we can for. It's all we can ask for. Nick and Dan, gentlemen, thank you so much. Uh, listeners out there, lots that we covered. I think the big one will be, we want to hear what is your kind of uh, ideal lineup under Tuchel based on what you've seen so far. A lot of conversation around that one. Um, social media or Discord, best way to do it. Uh, But then until next time, Chelsea fans, you know what to do? Keep the blue flag flying high.